I, I'm still amused by the fact that I was tasked with creating an entire language for the giants, and then they used it for a single line. And then they messed up the line too. No, what was the, what was the line? I can't remember. Uh, it was a line that I translated with six words and I only heard three of them. I think one of them was mispronounced. Um, <laughs> that, that's, that's still amusing to me. Hello, you are on, wait, you what? It's the question that you ask after someone tells you something surprising. It's pretty much the basis of this podcast. And on today's episode, we're talking to the person who wrote the Game of Thrones language Dothraki, as well as languages for TV shows like The 100 and movies like Thor, and so many more. We're going to find out how someone even goes about creating an entire language, how Dwight Schrute from the TV show The Office helped write Dothraki in Game of Thrones, what Australian essays have to do with ancient Latin, and who the best and worst Game of Thrones actors are at speaking Dothraki and Valerian. Pass it on to someone if you learn something and hit me up on Instagram if you have any ideas or questions. My name is David Peterson. I'm from California and I'm a language creator. And now I was wondering if you could say that in a language, any any of your choosing. Let me see. I can probably do that in Dothraki. So, Hake Anni David Peterson, California son. Yeah, he wrote the whole language of Dothraki in Game of Thrones. Also from Game of Thrones, he wrote Valerian. The language of the Dark Elves in Thor, the Dark World. Trigetislang from the dystopian teenage drama that is The 100. But like you don't tell Iopote. And many more. And we're not just talking like a couple sentences here or there. We're talking entire languages. Languages with nouns, verbs, adjectives, cultures, histories, idioms, just like English. So how many languages can you speak? I mean, I would say you're fluent in Dothraki by the sounds of it. Nah, I'm not fluent in any of the languages I've created. I mean... That requires being able to remember all the words and, you know, put stuff together. I can't do that. Uh, Dothraki I'm pretty good with because I, I used it for so long and there were no other other there were no other languages that I created that were competing with it. But as for languages that he didn't make up that he's fluent in? I grew up with English and Spanish. I'm pretty good with those. And then in, in a classroom setting, I've studied um, German, French, Arabic, Russian, American Sign Language, Esperanto, and Middle Egyptian. I'm going to give you an FYI here because I didn't know it, but Esperanto is the world's most widely spoken invented language. It's a mix of English, German, Polish, Russian, and French, and it was made by a Polish doctor who had hoped it would be used as a universal language for international communication. And then aside from that, I've studied from books, Modern Greek, Attic Greek, Akkadian, Japanese, uh, Hindi, Hosa, Finnish. I feel like I'm missing a few. Uh, Hawaiian, Turkish, Swahili, of course, and a couple of others. I don't know. So, yeah, a lot. David is what we call a conlanger. Con as in constructed, 
Lang as in language. So uh, Conlanger is just somebody who intentionally creates languages. Uh, the languages that we speak here on the planet, uh, they were all created by humans, of course, but they were created unconsciously and, you know, just by many different people, just naturally sharing words here and there and then them evolving gradually over time. Uh, a language creator is somebody that actually intentionally creates a language, usually in a shorter amount of time, sometimes in groups and with different goals, sometimes for international communication like Esperanto or sometimes for fictional people as I've done for like Game of Thrones and The Hundred. David was still in school when he created his first language. And I have to admit, what he intended to use it for was pretty romantic. Also a heads up that David's audio quality changes a bit here. I'm sorry, you know Zoom, Zoom, Zoom vibes. Yeah, so um, I, I came to language creation kind of a roundabout way. I was studying languages because I loved them. My mother had encouraged me to take linguistics uh, because she thought I would like it. And I, and I had taken Esperanto, so I'd heard about people creating languages. Um, I just never considered doing it for myself. I never thought I could. But um, in this linguistics course, I was learning about so many things that I thought were interesting. And I thought, what if there was a language that did things that I enjoyed? You know, Esperanto was a little um, more European and I was interested in something different. Uh, and so then I started creating a language right away um, just because I loved it. Um, now, I felt like it should have some sort of a purpose. And so I kind of shoehorned in this idea that, oh, I can give this to my girlfriend for her birthday and then we can use it together. And I assume naturally that she would, that she would just jump at this chance and, you know, we would start using this language. Um, and so I called the language, I, I smashed our two names together. Her name was Megan and mine was David. And so the name of the language became May Davy, a terrible mouthful. Uh, and so then I like presented her a grammar and stuff on on her birthday. And I don't know, like, I, I guess she appreciated the fact that I put in a lot of effort, but no, there was no way that she was going to learn or use this language. It just was not going to happen because it was a bad present, you know? Not something that you should just give somebody without their input, yeah. You know? But it's not too sad of a story because in terms of inspiring people to learn languages that he's created, he doesn't really seem to have had much trouble since then. The way that David ended up writing languages for Game of Thrones was actually through a competition. Before the show launched, Game of Thrones opened up the competition to all conlangers and said, submit a language and we'll pick our favourite. David only had the books to go off, so he studied them to see if there were any Dothraki words that already existed. So there were four books that were out at the time, and the first three of these books had Dothraki, the fourth one didn't. Um, and there were 56 words and names, a lot of them were names, and amongst those words, some of them were just, you know, one-off words here and there, like the word for Kal and Iraq, things like that. But then uh, there were also a number of phrases. So like uh, an epithet that Dothraki used with um, the Seris, as they called him the Swordfoot King, uh, so that's a phrase, right? it's not a sentence, it's a phrase, but nevertheless, um, phrases can be instructive uh, in terms of grammar because you have the words and they come in an order and they could come in any order, presumably but they came in a specific order. And so 
that becomes a part of the grammar. And then there were a couple of full sentences, things like um, uh, princess writing inside me, and so it was a matter of collecting all of those uh, various words and various phrases, uh, pulling out the phonological information, the, um, what, would, uh, what would help me decide what the sound of the language is going to be, um, and then pulling out the grammatical uh, information that was embedded in all of those phrases and sentences, uh, analyzing them, figuring out what it was, seeing if it was consistent, and then making sure that I adhered to that grammar so that what I created fit with what was what had already been done in the books. Sounds like a lot of work. How much time generally are you spending on something like this? So with, with Dothraki, it was, uh, there was a competition to create the language. Um, and so we had about two and a half weeks, I think, for the first round of the competition, and then they had a week to judge. And there was like two weeks for the second round of the competition. So, yeah, I'm, I'm more or less at a month and a half, um, which is not a lot of time. It's, it's not a sufficient amount of time. Um, I had a lot of time after, after I won the competition to whip things into shape. Game of Thrones obviously blew up and so did Dothraki. It began being referenced in pop culture and on TV shows. In fact, there's this episode of The Office where a character called Dwight takes it upon himself to teach his co-worker Aaron how to speak Dothraki. Ah, French. It's a great language. If you're a chain-smoking acrobat. I'm just trying to fit in better with Andy's family. They all speak more than one language. Usually when I'm there. You want to learn a really impressive second language? Try Dothraki. Win over any man in my guild. David had no idea that they were going to talk about Dothraki on The Office. I watched The Office when it was on. And so that was how I learned that Dothraki was going to be in the office when I just saw that episode live. I had no idea that that was going to happen. They never contacted me. Everything that they did in the show was grammatically correct. But there was um, there was one part where Dwight is teaching Aaron the tenses of Dothraki. And he uses the verb that they just created, a uh, throat rip. I throat rip. Fourth agendak. You throat rip. Fourth Agendi. He, she, it, throat ribs. Fourth agenda. More of a barbaric growl. Fourth agenda. Louder, you're shouting it from the back of a horse. Fourth agenda. They, what they did was they put a noun in front of the verb directly and um, as an incorporated object, which is not something that I had done in Dothraki. So it's, it would be like the equivalent to, well, I guess it would be the equivalent to throat rip in English. So like, I mean, it's a little clunky in English. We said, like, I throat ripped him. That would mean I ripped out his throat. It made sense, though. So, like, if you were going to incorporate a noun as an object into Dothraki, you probably would put it on the front. Um, that one ended with a consonant, so you could just smash it right onto the front of the verb, which began with a vowel. And um, and it was like, oh, yeah, it seems to work. Um, and so I just made it a part of the language. David called it the Shrutian compound, as in Dwight Schrute, and officially made it part of Dothraki language. They really put in their homework to make sure that it was grammatically correct. And so I, I like that. I like it when people put in the effort to make sure it actually works. Because there are lots of times where people will use bits of my languages and they'll just be, it's like they weren't even trying, you know. I don't know, like, be like if you were just... Uh, say you're writing French and you and you write down. It's like my name is Jacques, and you and you write like something like you know, 
mon mon être Jacques, and it's like no, it's not even close to French. You just basically looked up each word in the dictionary and put them in English order. Um, that's that's mostly what happens when, when people use my languages. So I I really appreciated the fact that they actually did it correctly. That was nice. Did any of the Shrutian compound make it into Game of Thrones? That's a really good question. I think maybe around like season five or six. Like I, I think I used that same construction somewhere else, and it did show up in dialogue, but um, that doesn't come to me off the top of my head. That's really interesting. I'll have to look that up later. Which Game of Thrones actor spoke the best Dothraki or High Valerian? Uh, the best, uh, the best performer of of everybody was Jacob Anderson. Who played Grey Worm? Um, and the language that he spoke was Low Valerian, Esporio Valerian. Um, but he was just absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. He spoke it so well that he spoke it just like head and shoulders better than me. It was ah, it was just magical the first time I heard him speak. It was extraordinary. And thereafter, I tried my best to speak it the way that he spoke it um he's still my favorite performer of all time um for any of the shows and movies i've worked on he's an absolute genius love him to death who was the worst speaker in game of thrones peter dinklage of course but he was not supposed to speak well you know so like he was appropriately bad i don't think he should have studied more um, and so every time that like, he was there speaking Valerian, it was always very comical and very well done. I, I really liked that they kind of added that. Basically, it's like his character was somebody that, you know, learned Valerian because he was rich, right? His family was rich. And because he had to, because it was a thing that he did, and he paid very little attention. Um, I thought that came off very, very well. So it was bad, but it was appropriately bad, you know. <laughs> and then there was that thing with the giants in season six. I, I'm still amused by the fact that I was tasked with creating an entire language for the giants, and then they used it for a single line. And then they messed up the line too. No, what was the what was the line? I can't remember. Uh, it was a line that I translated with six words, and I only heard three of them. I think one was mispronounced. Um, that, that's, that's still the news. When David is contacted to write a language for a TV show or a movie, usually the first thing that people care about is the way the language sounds. So that's where he starts. The first thing that I do is I figure out what is the sound I have in my head for this language, and that just comes from nowhere. It's just like, I hear what they have to say, like who the language is gonna be for. Um, and then I build the sound of the language, because that doesn't take too long, uh, without any meaning or without, you know, without any grammar, put together uh, like a fake sentence that has, uh, you know, sentence-like intonation and word-like elements, but with no meaning. And I send that to them and figure out if they're okay with the sound. Um, and if they are, then I start working. If not, then I tweak it until they're happy with it and then I get back to it. After David's decided on the sound and has made sure that they're happy with it. Then you start building a grammar, which is the most important part and the part that takes the longest. Um, well, 
uh, except for creating thousands and thousands of words. But I mean, um, so I, I start with nouns. Nouns tend to be simpler than verbs. They're more stable. They have less going on. Um, and I, you know, I create those until I'm at a point where I feel like I need some verbs in order to test the nouns out. Then I start building a verbal system. Um, and as I build that, I test it with the nouns. I test it in like, um, you know, dummy sentences, simple sentences to see how things are sounding. And then it's time to focus on other parts of speech, like adjectives, adverbs. Um, and once you have enough, you can start building sentences and move beyond uh, simple declarative sentences and do things like yes, no questions, WH questions, uh, relative clauses, subordinate clauses, fronting, and, and things like that. And then you kind of start to get a feel for how the variety of the language uh, syntactically, how that's going to work. Um, and then after that, uh, move on to derivation, how one word turns into another, um, and you know, number, a number system that's needed. Um, and then spend the rest of the time just fleshing out words. You know? And hey, that's how a language is built. You should give it a go sometime. <laughs> Sheesh. But something you might not realise comes into play when building a language is how much David has to consider the story of the world that he's created their language for. Created a language for people in a more or less medieval society, you're not going to have words for modern technology. That's something that you can do, like, you know, if you want out-of-character vocabulary, like a fan's want word for cell phone, Dothraki, they can go for it, but I'm not going to create it for the language, you know. And I also hadn't realized how much information we get about a certain culture from the language's expressions. You, you actually get a lot of culture reflected in expressions. I, and sometimes they're just random ones. Like I, I don't know what, uh, I don't know what that kick the bucket says anything very special about English, either American or British culture, wherever that came from. But at the same time, you know that expression had to be coined after there were buckets. <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah true. I hadn't so I had to have at least that. But then like other expressions, though, do actually tell you a lot of information about the culture, at least uh, whether something was there and that it was important. So like we have this expression, cut to the chase, uh, which came to English from America. And it came from the golden age of Hollywood, um, where it, it came from like, you know, an editor or something talking about a movie saying like, all right, this scene with the, with the characters talking is going on too long, cut to the chase scene because that's what the audience wants to see. Um, and so, I mean, it's just a little thing that tells you, hey, you know, first of all, this came from movies. And second of all, you know, American culture at that time considered movies in Hollywood important enough that a bunch of this phrase made sense to a bunch of people and they started using it. Speaking of origins, I'm curious about your thoughts of something in Australia called lads. Um, it's called Eshe culture. And these are kind of like guys who dress a certain way, usually in like caps and Nike shirts, and they talk in a certain way between each other. It's kind of like a subculture. Some of the words are itswa, meaning like sweet or good. Adle meaning lad, Ashke meaning cash. Eyes for ilche, kick back, relax, and ilche, lad. You might recognize some of those words. It's like a modified pig Latin with curse words and stuff. Where did pig Latin come from? It actually came from a specific place because in Latin, there are these um, enclitics that get used a lot. One of them is que, which means and. 
And so like, uh, what are two nouns in Latin? Librum and librum puerque. And that would mean the, the book and the boy, right? And so they never get the stress and they're always coming at the end of something uh, because of these uh, uh, inputics, which means they're just these little bits of grammar that get drawn on the end. Um, and so because of that, like when you're studying Latin, you get the, you hear it and you like, you're, you're always hearing da, 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 you know, things like that. And then ne is another one. Um, and so it, it's just like, that was the idea was like, if you were just making, if you were making fun of and imitating Latin, you would just like do that sound. And so then I think I am, I am 90% certain that was the origin of pig Latin where they're just trying to imitate that sound, but then they created a language game, you know, in English where you just take the, the first letter off and put it at the end and then add A at the end. But yes, yeah, so I think that's where Pig Latin came from. And of course, it's just a language game where uh, the difference between a language and a language game, it's like, you know, technically you can translate, you translate James Joyce's Ulysses into Pig Latin. And so like, how is not that a language? It's like, no, it's not a language because it crucially depends on another language in order to function. Right. So it's like you can just write a book in Spanish. You don't need to translate it from English in order to have it. You can write it in something, but you can't do that with Pig Latin. You have to be able to have the English behind it. Otherwise, there's nothing there. There's it's just a little like transformation of life. Um, so yeah, there are tons of language games. That's just one of them. So where can we expect to see David's work next? Well, you might have heard of that classic sci-fi novel called Dune. There's a movie coming out very soon. It's a big deal. And I asked him what we can expect from his work on that. Well, I created a, uh, I created a language for, for that, for, for the Fremen, and also a writing system. I also got to create a bit of a sketch for the Sadaukar and a couple of sign languages for, was for one character, and then the other one was kind of uh, for, for Paul to use, like a, just a not really a full sign language, but more of a, not really a code, but like a secret, that's kind of a secret code tech thing. So that was cool. So I got to do a bunch of different stuff um, throughout that film. So you'll, 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 you'll get, you'll get the sense that I'm there when you watch it. Sure. <laughs> Wait, you what is written, produced, recorded, edited by me, Erica Mallet. Uh, as always, pass it on to a friend if you liked it, if you liked learning about building languages. You can check David's workout on his website. He's got like uh, vocabulary guides of all of the languages he's ever created on his website. Um, if you want to nerd out on those, I'll put the link in the show notes. Check it out and I'll see you next time. Bye.